Good evening, America. It's me, Chloe Sevigny of Animation. It's recently come to my attention that I like the brave little Toaster. My viewing party was attended by my couch, Whole Foods brand hummus dip, and baby carrots. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and toasters with great feelings of courage and what's the word I want to say? Self, 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 ah, forget it. Something. They're very brave. They're very brave. <laughs> Selflessness. That's the word I was looking for. Great selflessness. I'm Chris Leva. That was the longest greeting we've ever done. I appreciate it. Um, I'm Mackenzie Worrell doing a parody of a parody of Chloe Seven E. Wonderful. Which we'll, we'll link to, <laughs> I guess. Yes, find it in our show notes, of which I know that everyone goes out to check. When you're done listening, start reading. Yeah, if you don't just like Google things while you listen to us, we do provide links if you didn't know. So today on the episode, we're going to be discussing something more, I guess I want to say conceptual. So the concept of inanimate objects. So this is writers get inanimated in this. Boo! No. Wow. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize there'd be that reaction there. Hey, we did not rehearse this ahead of time. I'm sorry. I did not approve of this joke. All right, fine. I will pull it back. It won't be edited out, but I will say a, a brief apology. Uh, anyway, so we're we're looking at how animation can use inanimate objects. So there are lots of things that don't have life that can get life in animation. So things like uh, toys, household appliances, um, food. And we're not talking about it comes to life as part of a plot point of the movie a la Pinocchio. Like in the world of the movie, it is already alive. That's, yeah. Right, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the rules that have to be created when you make a movie or show about inanimate objects. Um, but it's, it's more conceptual of why you would choose to do a story about them versus actual either humans or animals, uh, things that are already alive. Why mm -hmm. take a look at something that doesn't have life and pour it in? There is a play, well, it's a musical out there by Tony Kushner, um, which is Caroline or Change, and actually has things with inanimate objects. So this person is a maid, and so she goes down, and the dryer has a song, and the radio has a song, and the bus sings with the voice of the apocalypse. So... Oh, Tony Kushner. <laughs> so in theater, you know, they have... They have the bus sing a song. You have the radio sing a song, the dryer, the washing machine, 
And in theater, you could get away with it a little bit. You could have somebody standing there in like a t-shirt go, I'm the washing machine. And because it's theater, it's like, yes, that person is a washing machine. I think that you can do this, like there's use of inanimate objects in many different mediums and in like live action film and TV, you can also use inanimate objects, uh, but it's usually like a throwaway joke. Like someone will move the door to the dryer so it looks like it's talking like, hey, put your clothes on me. And like, haha, that's the end of it. And like they move on. Right. Someone's hallucinating. Or, or the yes, like the Michael Keaton film, Mr. Mom, where the vacuum comes to life and takes on a life of its own. The vacuum named Jaws. And, or the scary furnace. But, yeah. Move. From Home Alone? No, I'm from... Is a scary furnace and Mr. Mom also? No, you're right. It is Home Alone. I'm just mixing up my movies from the 80s, 90s, and today. It's only two movies, though. <laughs> yes. In three decades. There's more to come. <laughs> more to come. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, in animation, I think what fascinates me about how using inanimate objects is different is it kind of... Because it's animated and it implicitly, like, implies... Implicitly implies... It implicitly <laughs> is geared towards kids. It's either geared towards kids or such a reaction against being kid-oriented a la Sausage Party that it's still, like, having to do with not being for kids. There's kids involved in it somehow. So you would say it's juvenile. Juvenile, but in a good way most of the time. It's not like... I, I don't know. I'm. It's... That's a side thought. But, yeah, so juvenile <laughs> is a word for it. Um okay. And I think inanimate objects are a fascination because a la Toy Story, it's like embraces every kid's like, okay, well, I don't have people to play with. My friends are gone. The, we don't have a pet or the pet's not in the room or the pet doesn't want to be bothered right now. Um, so what do I do? My toys. Of course, these toys are alive. Or if you don't have toys, you're at a cabin for the weekend. Like, oh, I'm so bored. This toaster is alive now. These bar stools are twins. <laughs> I I don't know, but like I feel like every kid has had that experience of like, man, I'm really like in a pinch here. I'm gonna have to imagine that these household objects are alive. Sure. And I think anytime we have something that is active, so for example, a light goes on, a light goes off, a toaster actually makes something. There's a activity or activeness that's in there. And so something is working behind it. And we often design things that automatically look like they have some sort of face sometimes, you know. It's and in fact, you saying this reminds me, there's actually an animation related thing. There's a series of like, I think they're YouTube videos and I'm Googling it. I think it's Sean Charmots. Yes. Who yes, does, I'm he like animates faces over household objects. Yes, like bubbles and pieces of toast and basketball hoops. Yeah. This is the one you're you're discussing. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. And they're hilarious. Mm -hmm. You just add a face to it and it totally changes everything. So but that's that's the question is do you have to add a face? And I think we're gonna get into this when we talk about the rules of using inanimate objects as defined by writers get animated, not necessarily rules. These are just the questions that you need to ask to solidify the dramaturgy of 
creating inanimate objects as characters. So this is our new segment. The writers get questions you need to ask to solidify the dramaturgy of using inanimate objects as characters. I think we could like workshop that name a little bit more of this segment. <laughs> writers get dramaturgical. We, oh, okay. I mean, I guess we do that a lot. That's more we, broad. I mean, that's what we do anyway. I think we're just dividing it up a little bit more by calling it out. So Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, what are things you have to consider? We'll talk about this as we go through our two examples today. And what are our main two, two examples? What are we'll our main two? <laughs> Sorry. I'm not trying to interrupt. I'm trying to invite you to speak. <laughs> I just also enjoy irony of interrupting you. Okay, that's fine. Um, Sorry. Today we're talking about The Brave Little Toaster from 1987. Uh, and something that I learned and was surprised by, we're also talking about Luxo Jr., the famous Pixar animated short, which is from 1986. What? That was my reaction. I was like, oh, how weird. Of course, Luxo Jr. comes after Brave Little Toaster. Nope, not at all. I mean, kind of, we'll talk about it, but no, not at all. <laughs> um, so in these two things, so let's think about when using inanimate objects, how do you define anatomy? How much anatomy is too much anatomy? Like, when are you out of the uncanny valley? Um, or as my favorite uh, non-kid-friendly show, Veep, just said recently, he's the senator from the uncanny valley. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> when is too much anatomy too much? Um, how do you define the rules for that object? So in the example, everything today is electrical. How do you define the rules for electricity? When do these appliances need electricity and when do they not? Um, and people heal, people get better. You can put bandages on people and like our bodies will heal over time. And in the course of a movie over five minutes, scars will be gone. But with inanimate objects, do you want them to heal themselves or repair themselves? Or do they stay brokes? Stay brokes. Yes. That's a good way to put that. Um, so those are the things that I think we should keep in mind as we discuss these. Yes, definitely. Do we do we want to talk through the Brave Little Toaster first? Let's or should we talk about Luxo Jr. first? I feel like thematically we should do Brave Little Toaster first because Luxo Jr. kind of changed everything even though it came before Brave Little Toaster. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> because uh, Brave Little Toaster wasn't... I, I think that... Luxo Jr. was more, um, had more of an influence on the world, the larger animation world, than Brave Little Toaster did. Yeah. But let's, let's start with Brave Little Toaster. So, Brave Little Toaster, which I ain't never seen before. I figured uh, you hadn't. I had a feeling that I'm going to ask you to watch something you hadn't seen, and I would love to hear everything you think about it. I feel like we do that a lot, but I will, I do remember seeing when I was real little, I don't remember any of it, like the, the movie that this production company did after Brave Little Toaster, the like Rodney Doggerfield or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where it's Rodney Dangerfield as a dog on a farm. Yeah. I know I've seen that. I have not. So there's, there's that. I think most of the world has not. 
It yeah. can't get no respect as the catch line of the movie and Rodney Dangerfield goes. Yes, but like Rodney Dangerfield and the movie, should they? <laughs> we won't get into that on this episode of Right. We will not. Let's talk Brave Little Toaster. So Brave Little Toaster, 1987, as you said, Mackenzie, traditionally mm-hmm. animated film about, <laughs> I love how you re- explain this, five little appliances that could. Yep. I mean, I feel like that sums it all up. It, it really does. It has... The main characters are a toaster, a toaster, a Kirby vacuum cleaner, a old radio, a warm electric blanket, and a lamp, a desk lamp. We have a lot of desk lamps coming to life in this episode. Right. And I think that's why I thought of Brave Little Toaster when I was thinking of Luxo Jr. I'm like... Wait a minute, lamps. Lamps. So we have those five things. Now, Brave Little Toaster did create sequels such as <laughs> The Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue and The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars. Yes, Mars. Fun fact, The Brave Little Toaster... Uh, to the Rescue has a higher Rotten Tomato score than Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that at all, but I'm tickled. I'm certainly tickled. I just thought, you know, with Wonder Woman now out in theaters that it would just be uh, something to mention. Not that we're digging on Wonder Woman. We're digging on Batman v Superman. Yes. Starring Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the history of where this came from this i thought was really interesting and why i earlier said that brave little toaster sort of came first even though it came second is that it was kind of in development for a while um disney bought the rights to the book in the early 80s and uh john lassiter of future pixar fame originally um wanted to pitch for brave little toaster so he pitched it in his mix of 2d 3d animation style where he wanted 3D environments, I think, with 2D animated characters. That's right. And in the early 80s, you can imagine like how this would have looked and how expensive it would have been. And my favorite fact about this is because of this pitch, he immediately got a call to his boss's office and was fired from Disney. (laughs) (laughs) The brave little toaster firing Disney executives (laughs) since the (laughs) early 80s. Uh, and then Disney later outsources to a second tier production company, Hyperion, uh, which is most famous for, if not Brave Little Toaster, doing The Proud Family from uh, the Disney Channel. Among other things that I'd never heard of before and a few things that I wish to forget. <laughs> now, they this also does have, in, in addition to the firing, oh, let's call it the sacking, the sacking of John Lasseter. Yes. It does have some other Pixar ties, including Joe Ranft, who um, was the writer of Brave Little Toaster and worked on the story for Brave Little Toaster. A number of Pixar early people worked on the animation as well. Like it's a whole like CalArts crew. Like they worked on this and they got sucked into Pixar immediately afterward. Uh, so Brave Little Toaster could be, I guess, considered like the the Ur-Pixar movie, if you want to consider it part of their canon. 
Yeah, it's it's very close to being. And I think you saw, this was said, is this a quote that you found about Toy Story? Jerry Rees, the director and screenwriter. Oh, yeah, that is a quote from a an interview from the late 90s, I think. Uh, screenwriter Jerry Reese saw Toy Story, quote, as the next inanimate object feature, end quote. And in a lot of ways, and I think we'll talk about this, but the Toy Story trilogy is basically the three acts of the Brave Little Toaster. Yeah. Like you get all three mo- Toy Story movies in a single toaster film. <laughs> a single toaster film. And then they have two more toaster films. So you can see what the next six Toy Story movies are going to be about if you want to watch Toy- Brave Little Toaster to the rescue and Brave Little Toaster goes to Mars. Yeah, so I guess they're probably mining Toy Story 4 from Brave Little Toaster to the rescue. So everyone go watch that to figure out what, what the plot of Toy Story 4 is going to be. Like, there's so many similarities, it's eerie. Like, having seen the entire Toy Story trilogy before I saw Brave Little Toaster, I'm just watching this and eating my my hummus and baby carrots, um, thinking about, like, how if I hadn't known that this came first, that this would feel like a ripoff of the Toy Story movies. Yeah. Unloved appliances who come to life when their owner isn't around to do their task, and then they go on a journey to find the owner person or rescue the blah, 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 blah. Uh, the TV is like the long lost thing. It's like the prospector in toy story two. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately there's a culminating scene with a trash compactor where they're going to get destroyed. <laughs> yeah. It, it basically hits a lot of big story points. I think they're probably like, no one probably remembers what happened in brave little toaster. So we can bring that story back or, Hey, you guys remember when we did that in Brave Little Toaster? I'm sure we could do it better now in 3D with a <laughs> and budget. And they do. They do. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying that you can see that, I'm going to say this, that the Brave Little Toaster was stripped for parts. Wow. <laughs> and constructed these new um, features. I love it. So what you're saying is Pixar is like the hick who comes into the repair shop during Brave Little Toaster. Like, do you have a blender engine? I'm My lo- name is Pixar's Vin Pixarson. I'm wondering if you got my radio tubes. <laughs> One of the things that fascinates me about Brave Little Toaster is the commitment of the staff working on it for how low budget it was. They decided they still want to make a good movie with emotions. And so they really went all in on that. I'm not saying it all works together. I don't think that's the case, but they do have a lot of like weird emotional moments or weird, funny moments that have nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Yeah. It, it feels like a lot of people went off on their own to create certain sequences. And then they brought them all back and said, well, I guess this works in an entire movie and, Mm -hmm. and, and put it all together. And it, they're like, well, how about if we do this? How about if we do this? Now, I don't know, having not read the original story of The Brave Little Toaster, the novella, I don't know how much of these things are in the novel or these really strong character moments or these really confusing plot deviations are in the actual novel, but it just feels like we're taking journeys for the sake of taking some things and then having a showpiece 
made out of it. Probably the weirdest yeah. one is in the appliance shop, which we'll talk about. I think that's oh. that's the place where I was just like, "What am I? What are we doing here? What are we? What's happening?" But that's danger and relevant to them. The one that sticks out to me is really weird. Is when they're, it's already really weird. They're in the forest and they find all the animals to play with, and yeah. then Toaster finds like this flower that he walks away from, and the flower dies, and that's the end of that plot point. Like he just watches the flower die and he walks away. I think we'll say a little bit more about that particular scene because I forgot about that moment. And <laughs> there are some really strong moments in The Brave Little Toaster, having seen it as a kid. I think I was about eight when it came out. And I, it was on Disney Channel pretty much every other weekend or something. <laughs> they were just showing it a lot. So when I started watching it, suddenly all these things clicked on the back of my mind and I started remembering them, things that I had forgotten. But as once they happened, I remembered everything about that particular sequence. And it, that's what it feels like. It feels like a bunch of sequences. It doesn't mm -hmm. feel like an overarching story. It just feels like a bunch of tiny little episodic adventures that don't quite add up to what we want I think what they wanted it to add up to, but it's, it's really wholeheartedly um, it's, it's gone for with great gusto. Yes. I it's whatever the output is and the quality of that, they certainly went at it entirely. Yes. It's not really a sentence, but that, yeah. Yeah. They, they went for it <clears throat> with, with everything they had. So things, I think after the, the film, um, after watching it, my son, Jack, who's almost five now, which is scary to say, but he had lots of questions about a dream sequence and was still asking about what happened and what happened to that person and why was the toaster having a nightmare and everything about, and he was just really confused and it really um, affected him emotionally. And I had forgotten just how scary that nightmare was mm -hmm. until, you know, watching my son watch it and then realizing, oh, I don't know why this is happening and why <laughs> this is so scary. So there's a lot of like moments that have immediate payoff instead of like a delayed payoff, like the the AC unit comes to mind because um, at the beginning they have uh, Phil Hartman as this AC unit stuck in the window and he's like this menacing like ah he's never gonna come back and then he blows up <laughs> it's like when they first introduced him like this is the villain okay i see the villain has a cold heart he's an ac unit great i'm on board for this movie and then he like is destroyed within a minute of being introduced <laughs> right yeah phil hartman doing a jack nicholson impression <laughs> there was a lot of celebrity impersonations in this movie and yeah, culture references. So, um, yeah, it didn't. I don't know what I was going to say about that, but what what were you going to say? I think that, in addition to the the plot questions that I have about it, is the beginning of my questions about the rules of this inanimate universe because all the other appliances can move, and my first question is why is the AC unit stuck in the window? The AC unit is bolted to the window. Okay. He's bolted in. He cannot leave. So he can unbolt himself. He can't unbolt himself. Do you see all the other things? 
the vacuum cleaner, like, they form a bridge of appliances across a gorge over a waterfall. I think they can unbolt the AC unit if he wants to be unbolted. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's just too hard. It's too hard. Too difficult. <laughs> the AC unit is just, it's just a lost cause. Plus, they probably just don't like him. But they don't like Kirby either. Yeah, but Kirby is voiced by Thurl Ravenscroft. Thurl. I mean, it's, a, it's a great name. I mean, it's it's Tony the Tiger. Come on. It's uh, the singer of the Grinch song. Oh, man, one. Yeah. Kirby the vacuum cleaner. Do, 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 do. Oh, he's just, that's why you love him, even though he's like the worst. He's literally the worst, but he's, you still like him, mostly because he's Thurl Ravenscroft. I just know I'm going to regret this. You just agreed to this of your own free will, dude. Yeah. Get hey, over it. <laughs> hey, vacuum, you... you yeah, you 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 have free will as all vacuums do. Or does he? Because he can sometimes roll around just fine, but sometimes they need a car battery to take with them so he can keep moving and pull them all. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. So the first question you have to answer in your dramaturgy, and when we speak about dramaturgy, it's just making sure that your story and story choices and characters all make sense based on the rules and world that you've established and your intentions for that world. That's dramaturgy in a very poorly phrased nutshell. So answering those questions to make sure it all makes sense. The first thing is, what are the rules for your inanimate objects? Toys are easy. Toys have, they have faces, they have body parts. Um, you could understand that how they move because they're basically just plastic humans. Mm -hmm. That's it. And some of them might have special features and that's okay. They can behave differently. Right. Now, some of them require power. So the brave little toaster characters, we have a toaster needs a plug. A lamp has a plug. Electric blanket um, takes batteries, I guess. Um, I don't know. They never show his plug. Yeah. They... <laughs> Radio <laughs> takes batteries. And the vacuum obviously has a plug. Now, the toaster moves around without being plugged in. So you start off with the rule that electrical appliances can move around without needing power. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, to activate their functions like for to make toast i believe the toaster has to be plugged in to gain power to do his function so that being said kirby the vacuum a vacuum can move around and do stuff on his own but to actually have full power and make the brush spin on the inside of the vacuum um I can't believe we're discussing this on our show. <laughs> like to make the, the the rollers in the vacuum move. Yeah, yeah. He needs power. But why so, does he need the rollers in the vacuum to move when they're in the forest? Um, because they're using it to make a clear path to make it easier to run. So essentially, they're using his vacuum powers 
to suck up thistles, um, weeds, grass, anything that's in their way, basically acting as a weed whacker to, okay. to, to, to create a clearing. I'd buy that, but then they lose the battery falling over the gorge, but Kirby still goes and like does stuff later. And the lamp also turns on without being plugged in throughout the movie. You're right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the, no counter argument. <laughs> I have no counter argument because you're right. There, there are moments where this rule is broken. So that's where I was saying you have to make that decision on will they, can they run? Do they need power to run? What do they need the power to do? What are they able to do without the power? And what happens when they run out of power? It's the same question that you have to answer whether, you know, Spider-Man has organic web shooters versus mechanical web shooters. If he has mechanical web shooters, he can run out of fluid. I was just going to say, like, go more generic. Like, if people had as much passion for the rules around appliances as they did for the rules around vampires and TV, like, the world of animation would be a better place. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, there's so many other questions. Like, there's a fridge at one point, but the fridge isn't alive. You're right. The fridge is not alive, which doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. If the flower can be alive, like, why isn't any... Why are they, like, murdering this forest of thistles if this flower was alive earlier? Um, why does the lamp get struck by lightning and then magically repairs itself over the course of the movie? Yeah. Okay, there, there, there are many, many questions that get caused throughout this film about inanimate objects. Saving. I just have to say, yes. my biggest one, the biggest oh, one that bugs me and creeps me out, is in the repair shop, and they meet the hanging lamp. Yeah. Who, the first thing that bugs you about the hanging lamp, like, oh, he has eyes, okay. And he has really puffy lips. Number one, why does this thing need lips? Number two, it starts talking. It has teeth. Number three, you realize that there's this really disgusting tongue inside too. Why does a lamp need lips, teeth, and a tongue? Well, it's it's performing a very specific character. Yes, but why? And what is the name of that actor that it's, um, that it's trying to be that's a... That's parodying? Yeah. Uh, um... Because Bugs Bunny and all of them did parodies on him a lot. Yeah, it's on the tip of my tongue. I'm Googling it now. You can probably hear my <laughs> typing as I podcast. I'm doing it too, but I have a muted keyboard, so. <laughs> um. Nigel's going to cut out all this silence while we Google, right? Or is he going to leave it? At we should have a theme song of Google music. We should have Googling music. We Just make it the Jeopardy theme song. Uh, Peter Lore is who he's parodying. Yes, thank you. Peter like he's Lore. In that, he's in that one movie. Um, Casablanca. Yeah. So. And M. No, no child in the 80s is going to know who this person is. 
But that was big at the time. Like Looney Tunes did a lot of like these celebrity parodies. Big earlier, at the time, obviously. Looney Tunes were like in the '60s. That's 20 well, years yeah. later. But I'm, I'm saying they laid the groundwork. So then, in the late '80s, early '90s, Brave Little Toaster picked it up. Animaniacs picked it up. Like 90% of Animaniacs is making fun of celebrities that were probably dead before they started writing the episode. Yeah, you're right. So, but I, I had a problem with. Um, them exchanging bulbs. Your bulb's burnt out. Here, take mine. And he swings and essentially ejects the bulb. You know how hard it is to take a bulb out from a hanging lamp? You can't just like... And then then he, Lampy, our friend who we help follow, essentially spits the bulb out of his nose, like shoots it out of his nose. And then, then they screw the other one in. I'm like, you can't screw that one in after you just snorted the other one out and the hanging lamp like continues to have its own bulb during this entire there must be a spare part i don't know there's a lot of like well we need a new bulb cool how are we gonna do that let's have this lamp give the other lamp a spare one okay well we need him to have a bulb i'm sure he'll find one too deep you're digging too deep they just (laughs) get to the point of he gives him a bulb So as, as we've found out, there are no follow-up questions that get asked or they say it's okay. It's, it's, I guess we talk about this when we talk about um, suspending your disbelief. Mm-hmm. Look, it's already a talking toaster with a face. Isn't it okay that they go across a gorge like with just their cords holding them? That I will buy. Like they, that plays into the rules of the universe. There's only so far you can suspend your disbelief. If you establish rules and you follow them, I will suspend my disbelief until the end of the earth and back. But you think that a toaster with his arms, because the toaster's little, the push down lever mechanism on the toaster are his arms. Mm-hmm. You think a toaster's quote unquote arms can hold on to nothing on a cliff and suspend a lamp, a chair, a radio and a held together also by a blanket tied to a vacuum's cord. You were like, yeah, I'm fine with that happening. Yes. I'm willing to buy that because those are things that they already have. And they have from the beginning of the movie. It's not like the toaster magically develops little flappy arms in this moment. Like he has them. I'm willing to go with it. But how strong is this toaster? He's very brave. Didn't you read the title of the movie? I know he's brave, but it doesn't say brave and also freakishly strong toaster. (laughs) The brave and also freakishly strong toaster. (laughs) And he's little. It sounds like a Netflix like parody of this movie. Um, I use parody lately, of course, being poor ripoff of movie. Yeah. Or it's a Bojack Horseman joke. (laughs) The voice of the, the awesomely freakishly strong toaster with great morals <laughs> yes oh, i feel like that'd be a complicated question to ask in the bojack universe 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 <laughs> i didn't mean to say that but it works i'm gonna coin it this is the bojack universe <laughs> you're welcome netflix so <laughs> okay the other question you have to answer is does your inanimate object have a face 
do they get something added to it? So all of these creatures, creatures, all these objects get faces, mm-hmm. eyes, um, mouths, mostly not noses, but some of yeah, them you- have dials or things. The radio does not get a face. Yes. Because does John Lovitz really need a face? John Lovitz as the voice of the radio. I mean, John Lovitz as a person needs a face, yes. <laughs> well, John Lovitz, is his acting doesn't need a face. No, it doesn't. The thing... With the, the radio, I was kind of like on the fence about the suspension of disbelief. It's like, okay, he's a radio, and we established at the beginning, this is the radio announcer voice. And I kind of expected there to be a range of John Lovett's voices for like different radio programs and singing instead of just one same voice presenting all the radio programs. But don't they all blend together anyway? No, it's John Lovett's. No, I mean, I'm talking about in, in the real world. Oh, okay. Don't Maybe. they all kind of just sound the same? I guess. There's that guy who has the morning show. There's that guy that has, and they're just like, basically this guy's the, Fast talking one. This guy's the. Are we gonna talk about like Columbus area radio host now? No, I'm not talking about. No, no, I'm not. I'm just saying. (laughs) We just said the morning show, so. Okay, there are lots of morning shows. All right. The one's called the morning show. I understand that. I understand that. Moving on to what you were gonna say about John Lovitz on the radio. No, what were we talking about? Faces. Yeah, and lack thereof. So the radio doesn't have a face. Most everything else in the film has a face. The flower that comes to life does not have a face. Mm -hmm. The TV sort of has a face, but through the fictional salesman who's on the screen of the TV, the TV appliance itself doesn't have a face built into it. Right, but it has a personality acting as a face. Yeah. So it's using the screen to display its personality. Yeah. Which is, it's interesting. I think that worked because the radio does the same thing. Right. It uses the announcer as the voice of the character. Yeah. And the, it is interesting as they meet other appliances where they do in Al's toy barn. I'm sorry, not <laughs> Al's toy barn. It was the other, it's the... Uh, the the Elmo St. Peter's Repair Shop or whatever it is. Yeah, the Repair Shop, which is essentially Al's Toy Barn. Let's, let's be real. That's, that whole sequence is basically Al. Yes. That's Toy Story 2. <laughs> um, you get to see all the, other car- all the other appliances and the different ways that they get faces. So a face on a tape deck, face on a blender, um, and how... Th- they get their faces that disappear or are as parts of their knobs already. Mm-hmm. Also, they may get different arms. I think the most creative one was the tape deck, where his arms are a strung out um, tape. Yeah, that was cool. So his, so it, you're deciding what can you use as your limbs and extremities. So usually... Um, Lampy, who doesn't have arms, uses his cord as if they are arms. Um, and Toaster has its little levers as arms. Kirby doesn't have arms, but 
has a face right on the front and basically a nose. Mm-hmm. So you're just deciding the different ways that anatomy happens on each of these characters. And I think that's probably where the movie is possibly most successful is in those decisions on how to give them faces in some ways. It's very creative in character design. Yes. And I think that the movie most shines when they're meeting other appliances. So I kind of wish that it had focused more on that because I love the, I won't say I love the repair shop sequence. I like the idea of the repair shop sequence. <laughs> um, I, it's like Star Wars Episode Three. Like, I really appreciate what they're going for. I don't like anything that actually was there, but I, I like the idea of it. It had potential. <laughs> um, and then when they get to the master's house um, and they have, like, all the computers and the entertainment complex and all, like, the future appliances. And there's this brief little theme of, like, we're better than you. We're the new you. And I kind of wanted that to be pushed further of these appliances that have been touched in 20 years meeting like, oh, I didn't know there was a new version of Lampy that has three settings of light. What? Right. And what is a computer? They were odd. You know, they were okay with it, but it's everything you wanted and more Mm -hmm. is a song that they essentially sing that we're high tech and you guys are so low tech. And why would the master even take you to college because now the master's going out now we're in toy story three mm-hmm. master's going off to college and is actually wanting to take his things with him notably he doesn't take a computer though yeah i wouldn't take that computer that computer's freaky <laughs> whereas eyes he, he'd still the, need like a typewriter or something in the 80s if he's not taking a computer yeah he would still need something to type on but that computer the keyboard's were the actual teeth. Yeah. Which which animated keyboards just upset me because it's like, those are just two lines of squares, people. That's (laughs) That's, not a keyboard. That's how teeth look also. I know, but it's not a keyboard. I love when people like animate teeth and they do it by like doing the vertical lines over white and then they have two horizontal lines for some reason. I love that mistake. That's my favorite. And you're like, if you have three rows of teeth, what's going on with this animated character? (laughs) (laughs) It's the best. Um, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, what else do we need to say about bringing these appliances? And it's, it's really strange about a story of appliances as opposed to beloved childhood things. So you're meant to feel nostalgic for... A vacuum and a lamp. Like the lamp I could kind of buy because maybe you read bedtime stories, which we see Mm -hmm. that the master as a little kid reads bedtime stories by this lamp. But a vacuum cleaner? I am okay with that. Uh, To transition us into Luxo Jr., I generally like the premise of the appliances wanting to be as beloved as the family dog. Yeah. And I think that in many cases where you have a very specific object from a specific time period, you do have that nostalgia from being a kid. Um, and I totally buy it for specific appliance objects. Now, I don't think the characters of Brave Little Toaster were specific enough to show like why they were beloved that way. Where I think right. you do get that is in the Pixar short Luxo Jr. with the Luxo lamp. Because I had one of these lamps and it is a very specific sound, which they master. It's a very specific movement, which they master. And it's a very specific love because you can put this lamp in 
any position over your art desk, wherever you want, and it's amazing. There's a reason to love this lamp. I don't know if you've had a Luxo lamp as a kid. No, I never. No, I've, I've my my lamp exposure is <laughs> severely limited. Well, it operates a lot like the the mic arm that you have in front of you right now. Like it's a similar concept. I, I understand how lamps work, and I've seen them used by other people. I just myself have not had that much opportunity to have a desk lamp. That's all I'm trying to say. Like I'm not <laughs> living in some world where the concept of desk lamps with hinges are unorthodox and scary, because I don't understand them. Well, fun but fact. I. But I appreciate you. Trying to explain what a desk lamp is? You're welcome. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. In 1986, they could have been a little scary with computer animated lamps, but Pixar turned it around and showed us these lamps are not scary. And why we're talking about Luxo Jr. Second is because we talked about Brave Little Toaster in the early 80s, John Lasseter pitching for and getting fired from Disney. (laughs) Sacked. Sacked from Disney. It was a slow sacking. Um, and then in 1986, Luxo Jr. premieres and Changes the World, gets a standing ovation, has been inducted into the Library of Congress, won an Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film, the first CGI nomination ever, um, and is just generally a watershed moment for animation. So after failing to pitch for a movie that came out after his short, John Lasseter gets all the acclaim that he should have got. And to be fair, technology and computer animation probably advanced a lot those four years. Yes. Now, also, you you made a note about something else that John Lasseter had created at CalArts for a student film prior to Luxo Jr. Yes. Um, I haven't seen it, but he does have a student film from 1979, The Lady and the Lamp. Obviously a payoff playoff of Lady and the Tramp but with a lamp. Um, so something about lamps, like John Lasseter loves lamps. He loves lamps. I love lamp. <laughs> I will buy a, I will buy a lamp if it'll make you feel better. I will get a new lamp. Can that be our T-shirt? Or we just get animated on the back with just I love lamp and then like a Luxo lamp on front of it from Pixar? I feel like that would be somehow copyright infringement on multiple levels. <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> tweeted us if you would like a I Love Lamp shirt with the Pixar silhouette on it. Dear God. No, I'm not going to... No, don't tweet at us with that. Just It's a bad idea. Okay. If Movie. you think it's a good idea, tweet at us. <laughs> not if you want it, just if you think it's a good idea. To prove my point. Moving on to the idea that Walt Disney had the observation that giving lifelike qualities to inanimate objects has comic potential, which Disney was known for doing this from the early um, moments. We look at something like if you take the idea that Luxo Jr. is like the Steamboat Willie, as you so, you know, aptly called it, the Steamboat Willie of our generation, which is something that advances technology as much as it advances possibility and storytelling. Mm -hmm. In Steamboat Willie, we have the steamboat, and (laughs) on the top of the steamboat, we have the whistles, and the whistles are making their whistles, 
and one of them doesn't whistle and the other one kind of looks down at it and uses its little handle to hit the other one so it will make its whistle. So always giving life to those little inanimate objects just for little throwaway gags like that. Mm -hmm. Everything can have a personality. Something can become an arm, something becomes a mouth. You just can take that and take the potential and run with it. It's like these objects have a purpose and what's the humor of when they don't fulfill their purpose or when something a la Flintstones that's not the appliance fulfills the same purpose. It's a living. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine the squeaky Pixar lamp going, <laughs> It's a living. Um, so yeah, in, in Luxo Jr., we have not just inanimate objects fulfilling a purpose. We have inanimate objects that are alive and believable and emotional and then have this extra technical fun stuff of casting light <laughs> in 3D animation for the first time and showing off technical things. Right. And I, I, won't think say, that, I won't say first time, but well for the first time. I think that's where it gets through. It's, it's trying to do light, movement, and um, physics in a lot of different things, pushing the technology, but doing it in a really creative fun, honestly, fun, yet simple way. Mm -hmm. And looking at this short now, you don't always go like, oh yeah, that's believable movement. I mean, it's it's mid-80s computer animation. Um, it is really good, especially for what it is, but like watching the, the chords move as Luxo Jr. is jumping around, like at the time, like, look how amazing this movement is of the lifelike chord movement. You're like, that is... Uh, little stiff there buddy like but, by today's standards it's by today's standards but looking at it as what it was it was revolutionary yes absolutely um so let's talk about why choose inanimate objects here obviously less to animate yes don't give it a face they did not give the lamp a face it's pretty easy. It's still a lot of articulated parts and a Luxo lamp comes with that articulation that gives you a lot of possibility without having to like stretch and smush. What's the phrase I'm looking for? Squash and stretch. Squash and stretch. There we go. Thank you. So it's, it's something that's built into the object itself. The movement mm -hmm. is essentially, it, it animates itself. It's, <laughs> it it's there. Itself. All the, all the structure on this lamp is designed to make the lamp have these specific movements. So if you build those into your 3D model, that you know exactly how and when and at what points it can have articulation and movement. There's no like deciding where to break that. It's like, this is what it can do. Cool. How do we tell the story with this? Right. So you create, in one case, limitations dare I say rules, mm -hmm. dun, dun, dun. rules and limitations and tell the story encapsulated within those barriers, so to speak. And the story that it tells doesn't need words, which is really good. And the thing that jumped out at me watching this after Brave Little Toaster is that they show emotion through action in Luxo Jr., which is what Pixar is really good at. Versus Brave Little Toaster, the emotions are often stated out loud in dialogue. 
When Luxo Jr. pops the ball and is sad in the short, you feel that, you go, oh, for the lamp. In Brave Little Toaster, they're always talking about how much they miss the master and how, like, they wish that they see him, but you don't feel that same awe. Right. You may feel scared in their nightmare because of the scary imagery, including a firefighter clown. Yeah, that was messed up. Run. <laughs> like, ah! Black Cauldron. <laughs> ah, I'm scared. Turn on the Black Cauldron. Hurry. <laughs> Turn off the firefighter clown. Quick, there's a political debate on. <laughs> Turn on the Black Cauldron. We're just referencing uh, all of our past episodes today. I know. <laughs> so... Yeah, it, it is what you say. They do everything essentially in mime. They're they're using movement there to to show emotion. So they have the lamp obviously has a head and can has a foot and a body, so can have posture. So they do it all in head position and posture and body movement everything in that manner. And so we, I think all of us have made something look sad mm -hmm. by putting its head down a little bit, shrinking its shoulders somehow. You know, if you just take your hand and make it look like a naked puppet, and then you know exactly how to make it sad and just like look down a little bit and maybe like hunch the shoulders a little bit. And it's we like all, a slow exponential droop of like you start off slowly drooping and then it gets faster. Oh, like that. Yeah. Oh. And you, we all ha know exactly what that is. It's a universal thing. It goes beyond language because we know what somebody who looks sad, what their body is doing. So these particular inanimate objects could show that. And we also have the moment of surprise and shock on the father lamp who lifts up and looks like, what's happening? Mm -hmm. Shakes its head. And shakes its head. What There's we're presuming is a head. We're, we're projecting a head onto it. And that's what it's designed to do. <laughs> that's the way they've designed it. That's the way they've structured it. But we were able to tell exactly what's going on in that lamp's mind. By in its bulb. In its bulb. Um, as, as it's going through its motions. So it, it, there's a oh. physicality that they, they can have. And it's in that physicality that the story's told. And I think in Brave Little Toaster, they, there is physicality, but the story's not told in that physicality. I mean, I think... I don't know if it'd be better without faces... Mm. It would be a, a maybe a 10-minute film instead of an hour-and-30-minute film. Yeah, but, I don't know that you can do a whole movie without faces. You, th you think that... You don't think that Luxo Jr., the movie... I wouldn't watch a full-length movie of that. Is that why, and this is somewhat related, inanimate objects with faces... Is that why the cars of the cars world have faces? Because you can't tell a movie about cars without giving them some sort of a face. You can't have deep emotional moments without eyes. Hmm. 
That's why every alien race in every Star Wars and Star Trek, like, strange planet has eyes of some kind. Like, the eyes in the film language, of course, are the gateways to the soul. Uh, so you need eyes. Like, that's part of it. Like, I feel bad for the filmmaker of hundreds of years from now as to tell a story when we have met aliens that don't have eyes. Like, that's a hard job. I'm sorry, dude. So, and and this is something that, that Disney's done before. We had... Um, and and you really just adding eyes to things. So Johnny Fedora and Susie Blue Bonnet, a fedora and a bonnet who fall in love and have eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, the mouths are their whole the holes where you know a person's head would normally go. Oh, like the the head hole. The head hole is their mouth. What do so you they, call that? <laughs> The bottom of the hat. I don't know. If Does you are, if you are a, a hatter, please let us know what the hole for your head is called. In a, I believe hat. it's a haberdasher. I know. I was. I wanted to say hatter though to keep it in the. Okay, moving on. The, but also, they were also doing things like, oh, Susie the Blue Coop. I don't know if all their names are Susie. I feel like they are. <laughs> So it's a blue car from from the fifties, and she has eyes where the in the windshield. That's where her eyes are, and that's essentially where where cars takes off. And but we have houses where the wind upstairs windows have are the eyes to the house yeah. and the home. You, if you don't have eyes, it's a very conscious choice. Like you always know that someone's the bad guy because you spend like a small scene of a movie or a uncomfortably long amount of time, like meeting a character and seeing them from behind without seeing their face first. Cause you don't see their eyes. You're like, who is that person? You want to know because you don't see their eyes. Or if you think Pan's labyrinth, there's a conscious choice to make eyes creepy because the one monster does not have eyes except then in its palms later spoilers for 10 years ago. <laughs> Okay. So I guess rule in in summation for inanimate objects have eyes. If you want to have emotion, if you want to have deep, deeper emotion, give give them eyes. I I put Depp emotions. <laughs> if you want to have Johnny Depp in a movie, you have to have eyes. And eyeliner. <laughs> a multitudinous amount. Of eyeliner. <laughs> if you want deep emotions, have eyes. If you want deep emotions, have eyeliner. <laughs> That's better. Thank you. That's for... the t-shirt. You you do <laughs> you do keep workshopping my phrasing into better words. You're welcome. I appreciate it. I'm an editor. Um, what are other writers <laughs> get animated dramaturgical rules for something 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 inanimate objects? Uh, show emotion through action. These are objects that are alive. Remember how these things move and do something with that. So I don't think we ever get a moment where the toaster gets to pop somebody up. And that's what a that's what a toaster's main function is. Throwing things. And also burning them. So we didn't see that either. But I think we lose an idea of what their functions are. Mm-hmm. So, so take that function 
and give that action and also show the emotion through it. It's like a superpower that only that character has. Yeah, it's it's very it's X-Men. How do they mm-hmm. activate that specific superpower? So Kirby the vacuum, he really sucks. So how do you show that he sucks? Like what is his sucking powers? We're going off the deep end here. Oh I'm, I'm, no. <laughs> I'm pulling it back. So next rule. Uh, of course, a define anatomy, not just like beyond eyes. Like what are the limits of anatomy? How far do you want to go? And just know like you're going to go up the other side of the uncanny valley at some point. Right. And then last part, define rules of physics. <laughs> How does electricity work? <laughs> How does electricity work? How does gravity work? Yeah. How, with, like how, with blanket, like how does wind work? Yeah. It, it's really rough at some points and doesn't cause much problems at other points. Like there's no way they would have made it across that gorge with the wind, with the blanket. He's like a sail and he's right in the middle of their chain. <laughs> so those are the rules. Them's the rules for dramaturgy of inanimate objects. Stick to them, kid. <laughs> what was your favorite thing out of these two things, Mackenzie? Um, I think just John Lovett's being set loose to do his thing. Like, if anything can be said about the Brave Little Toaster, they just let John Lovett do his thing and they worked around that. Awesome. That is never a bad course to take with a low-budget movie. Yes, I agree. My favorite thing was also, I forgot that John Lovitz was the voice of the radio. And so the moment that we get the very opening scene with the radio coming on and the good morning report and it's John Lovitz, I was like, that's why I like this radio so much. <laughs> I remember. So it was, it was great. So now we do have a new segment-ish. Second we, installment of segment. <laughs> which is like uh, we we put out the word on the Twitter verse to many writers, storyboard artists, story people, directors of animation on the Twitters about good notes. What are your best notes and what are your worst notes like that you've what, ever received that you've ever received what are the qualities that make them up what were they specifically if you can remember but what are the best notes and what are the worst kinds of notes that you get um last time on our black cauldron episode uh we heard from oh my gosh john aaron Walkey. aaron Walkey. my god john I don't know where John came from. I don't know where we were talking about John Lovitz. And so oh, okay. I apologize, the good Aaron. So at if, the good Aaron. Right. <laughs> um, on so this new segment, writers get notifications from Twitter. <laughs> We've heard back from another writer. Who do we hear back from this time? Uh, Joshua Pruitt has shared his story with us. And Joshua Pruitt is uh, most known for being a writer and doing storyboards for Phineas and Ferb. Uh, Milo Murphy's Law, one of my personal favorites, and I believe the new installment of MST3K. So, best notes. Best note, and I feel like we're doing Animaniacs here. <laughs> Good idea, bad idea. Best note, 
Um, best note is sometimes no notes, but doesn't help you grow. Thoughtful notes are gifts where someone's helping you clarify your intent. Yes, I completely agree with that. Right. The best note is someone seeing what you're going for and telling you that because you didn't know you were going for it. Right. Or they know what you're going for and see where you go off the rails. So I got one of those recently, actually, so I completely agree with this. I had a, wrote a short story, I was sharing it around with some people and getting feedback, and the original scene in the short story that I wrote for doesn't fit into the rest of the story. And as soon as like I heard back from the first person, I said, I don't understand why this is here. I said, you're totally right. This doesn't need to be here. Thank mm-hmm. you for that note that I knew deep down I needed to hear. Yeah. And what about worst notes? Uh, worst note um, from Joshua. Worst notes are thoughtless and critical without being helpful. Also, good notes can seem like bad notes. Skill is to see the note behind it. I may not like the tone of a note, or it may sting or feel hurtful, but my job is to get the story right. Thick skin helps. Worst note is always vague. Could you make it better with no criticism or reaction? Not a real note. Notes should be interactive, a discussion. And I think... Go ahead. I was going to say skill is seeing the good note inside of a bad note, because even if I mean, part of my day job now is like looking at um, angry, angry things all day. So if someone's angry about something, don't pay attention to how they're talking about why they're angry and the specific four letter words that they're using, but see in (laughs) inside that, why are they angry? Like that's the note, like, okay, Someone's angry about this. Don't just write it off. It's like, I don't care. They're angry. They're cursing at me. It's like, okay, well, why are they mad about this? What can be done here? Yeah. I mean, there's, as a, as a writer, your intent is to get an emotional reaction. Hopefully, hopefully that's deep down your intent. I want to get this person to have an emotional reaction. If their emotional reaction is anger as you were saying, if that's the emotional reaction and that's not your intent, you can see what was causing them. Now, you may not change what that person says to change, but your your job is to understand the story enough that you can see why that person might be feeling what they're feeling. And if it's okay because that's that person, one, two, they're reacting to something else that you were blinded to or three, something's just not working and they just don't know how to express it. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I think that the opposite is also true of um, when you get a reaction that seems like a good reaction, but you don't want that there. Like we talked about having unexpected anger. Uh, We were talking about this a little bit beforehand. What happens when there's unexpected laughter where you don't want there to be laughter? Right. (laughs) You're like, oh, people are laughing. That's not a good thing. (laughs) Or if it is, you you can say, is this actually funny? Should it be leading towards it? Should I make the whole thing? You get to figure out from reaction. Mm -hmm. But I think also Joshua gets into the idea of a note being a discussion or Mm -hmm. being interactive. It's not just an order it's something that you're you're having dialogue with that person who's expressing something to you yeah completely agree i think that the best my entire 
um, strategy for feedback on plays and writing now. I've completely stolen from someone else who stole from someone else. It's the... Oh, I've forgotten her name, but I saw an OSU professor um, at feedback for a play um, do this, and I've completely stolen it. I would give her credit for it if I remembered her name, but it's... You divide your feedback into three sections. The first question is... What popped? What popped? What sticks with you? The second question is... What didn't you like or what did you not like about this? And the third question is, what do you love about it? So it's pop immediate first reactions, then bad impact, then good impact. So you sandwich bad in the middle. There's no specific questions because that's leading. You just want to see what people remember. Hmm. Yeah, well, the way we used to do it was what popped. So what do you remember? What are the things that stand out? Questions. Hmm. They can't be prescriptive questions, but they will always be prescriptive in some way. And then uh, the third one was small potatoes, which are those little dramaturgical things like your character says it's hot, but the line before it says that it's 72 degrees. (laughs) Like little things that catch you. Like, why is this person... Like, I think we get into a little bit of small potatoes, like... How is the lamp able to fix itself? Which could lend itself to being a larger issue, but it's like, this isn't really following the rules that you've set up in your play. This isn't really following the rules that you set up in your movie about household appliances, searching for their gone master. So because we're naming all of our segments this episode, I think that our analysis of an episode or movie from now on should be called The Meat and Small Potatoes. <laughs> Probably. Meat and Small Potatoes. <laughs> Writers get meat and small potatoes. That, uh, that is a different podcast entirely. That's Hopefully a food true. review podcast. That's my first thought. But I'm, <laughs> you know, it's lunchtime. <laughs> should we talk homework time? Let's do that. For your homework, next time we're going to be talking about one animated short and one animated short only. The Looney Tunes short, Duck Amuck, starring the illustrious Daffy Duck. The imitable Daffy <laughs> Duck. I was trying to think of something funny to say. I don't have anything. So, thank you as always to our engineer, Nigel Catino. And to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Catch us on the web. Tweet at us at WG Animated. <laughs> Facebook.com. Like us on Facebook.com slash WG Animated. And check out the show notes to lots of links and see lots of different articles at writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Also review us on iTunes if you wouldn't mind. It's nice. It's just the right thing to do. If you, too, are a brave little podcast listener. Mm. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 